Section 19 of The Empire of Business by Andrew Carnegie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kat Din in Osaka, Japan. The Empire of Business. Section 19. Family Relations. Family Relations the most serious objection to socialism one hesitates to name, but this cannot well be avoided. We gladly believe that most of the so-called socialists of our English-speaking race would repudiate it, and yet it is clear that the system would naturally tend to produce, at least in some degree, the effects feared. We refer to the foremost of civilization's triumphs, the creation of the happy home, the product of man and woman, holily married with the blessings of children coming to them to give us here a taste of heaven on earth. Of all that evolution has given man during the long, slow march of ages, from savagery till now, this is the crown. Take this away, and to millions who possess it, the best of the race, life becomes undesirable. The holy of holies is the pure and happy home. We have been treating of wealth, land, labor. Changes regarding these are unimportant compared with threatened changes in our family relations. That way degradation lies. Here rests the most precious root of all that elevates, refines, and improves human nature. The writer would gladly have omitted reference to this feature of socialism, but he felt it could not be ignored. One looks in vain through the booklets so far published for a repudiation of the sentiments of socialistic leaders, both past and present, who admit that family relations must be greatly changed under socialism. The writer confesses it was with surprise that he found several modern and well-known writers going so far in the direction of accepting the doctrine that socialism compelled this change. The first exponent of modern socialism, Fourier, is responsible for this taint, although even Owen quarreled with accepted views of marriage, so that it is not a recent development. It appears advisable that the best-known writers among acknowledged socialists especially those of our own race occupying eminent positions, should give this feature prompt attention and, we trust, public repudiation. We quote from The Case Against Socialism, pages 374 to 398. We have the admission of the leading English socialist historian of socialism, in no less a work than the Encyclopedia Britannica, that, in the Marx School, which in socialism is by far the most important in this as in other countries, there is a tendency to denounce the legally binding contract in marriage. The connection, however, bases itself upon this, as treated by Lamartine in his celebrated history of the French Revolution of 1848. Communism of goods leads, as a necessary consequence, to communism of wives, children, and parents, and to the brutalization of the species. Other historians have arrived at a like conclusion. Not only this, but socialist leaders have themselves admitted all that Lamartine here asserts, save only his last conclusion. Jaeger, in his Socialismus, observes that the possession of land and soil in common, if it arises out of materialism, leads also to community of wives as being another expression of materialistic communism. In his essay treating of socialism and sex, Professor Carl Pearson, said to be one of the most distinguished of socialist writers in this country, writes, With the centuries as the last traces of the patriarchate vanish, as woman obtains rights as an individual, 
when a new form of possession is coming into existence, is it rational to suppose that history will break its hitherto invariable law and that a new sex relationship will not replace the old? In a later passage, Professor Pearson throws further light upon the nature of this new sex relationship. In his essay, he informs us that woman will be the physical and mental equal of man in any sex partnership they may agree to enter upon. For such woman, I hold that the sex relationship, both as to form and substance, ought to be a pure question of taste, a simple matter of agreement between the man and her, in which neither society nor the state would have any need or right to interfere. This latter conclusion Professor Pearson proceeds to modify in the case where the sex relationship does result in children. Then, so Professor Pearson emphatically declares, the state will have a right to interfere, and apparently, in the writer's opinion, will be forced to interfere. One of the greatest of French socialist writers, M. Gabriel Deville, in advocating the suppression of marriage under socialism and the substitution of free love, summarizes the principal reasons which account for the inherent antipathy to the continuance of marriage on the part of socialism, saying, Marriage is a regulation of property, a business contract before being a union of persons, and its utility grows out of the economic structure of a society which is based upon individual appropriation. By giving guarantees to the legitimate children and ensuring to them the paternal capital, it perpetuates the domination of the caste which monopolizes the productive forces. When property is transformed, and only after that transformation, marriage will lose its reason for existence. Bebel, the great international socialist leader, in his Woman and Socialism, translated into English under the title of Woman, Her Past, Present, and Future, expresses much of the same views as Deville in the following passage. The bourgeois marriage is a consequence of bourgeois property. This marriage, standing as it does in the most intimate connection to property and the right of inheritance, demands legitimate children as heirs. It is entered into for the purpose of obtaining them, and the pressure exercised by society has enabled the ruling classes to enforce it in the case of those who have nothing to bequeath. But, as in the new community, there will be nothing to bequeath. Compulsory marriage becomes unnecessary from this standpoint, as well as from all others. The existing of monogamic relation, write two of the foremost leaders of English socialism, Mr. Belfort Bax and Mr. H. Quouch, concerning marriage, is simply the outcome of the institution of private or individual property. When private property ceases to be the fulcrum around which the relations between the sexes turn, any attempt at coercion, moral or material, must necessarily become repugnant to the moral sense of the community. Lecky says, It is perfectly true that marriage and the family form the taproot out of which the whole system of hereditary property grows, and that it would be utterly impossible permanently to extirpate heredity unless family stability and family affection were annihilated. Mr. Hepworth Dixon, who has devoted special study to the actual working of communistic societies, observes that the fact remained and in time it became known that Fourier's system could not be reconciled any more than Owen's system could be reconciled. With the partition of mankind into those special groups called families, in which people live together a life devised by nature, under the close relation of husband and wife, of parent and child. The very first conception of a socialistic state is such a relation of the sexes, again writes Mr. Hepworth Dixon, 
as shall prevent men and women from falling into selfish family groups. Family life is eternally at war with social life. When you have a private household, you must have personal property to feed it. Hence, a community of goods, the first idea of a social state, has been found in every case to imply a community of children and to promote a community of wives. That you cannot have socialism without introducing communism is the teaching of all experience. Whether the trials have been made on a large scale or on a small scale, in the old world or in the new. The late Mr. William Morris, in company with Mr. Belfort Bax, has written in denunciation of the present sham morality, the aim of which is the perpetuation of individual property in wealth, in workman, in wife, in child. Later, the same authors tell us on the advent of social economic freedom that children would cease to exist. Thus, they state, a new development of the family would take place on the basis not of a predetermined lifelong business arrangement to be formally and nominally held to, irrespective of circumstances, but on mutual inclination and affection, an association terminable at the will of either party. There would be no vestige of reprobation weighing on the dissolution of one tie and the forming of another. Mrs. Snowden, in her recently published book, The Woman Socialist, informs her readers it is more than probable that the ordinary church marriage service will be abolished, but it ought to be abolished. Under socialism, the marriage service will probably be a simple declaration on the part of the contracting parties before the civil representatives of the state. To much the same effect writes Professor Carl Pearson, Such then seems to me the socialistic solution of the sex problem complete freedom in the sex relationship left to the judgment and taste of an economically equal, physically trained, and intellectually developed race of men and women. State interference, if necessary, in the matter of childbearing, in order to preserve intersexual independence on the one hand, and the limit of efficient population on the other. The socialistic movement with its new morality and the movement for sex equality, writes Professor Pearson in an earlier passage, must surely and rapidly undermine our current marriage customs and marriage law. Mr. H. M. Heinemann predicts under socialism the complete change in all family relations, which must issue in a widely extended communism. M. Jules Ged, one of the leaders of international socialism, writes, The family was useful and indispensable in the past, but is now only an odious form of property. It must be either transformed or abolished. There are other quotations in the book named, which we refrain from quoting. In judging socialism, we are forced to consider this aspect of the question and see where it leads us. The opinions expressed, we trust, are not accepted by many socialists of our own race. What concerns us is whether the result of the socialistic system tends to change or destroy marriage and present family life as it exists today. Socialism, with its equal conditions of life and equal incomes, must tend to evolve the common assembling room, the aggregation of members in one common building, and all the features of the barracks. Mrs. Besant pictures these conditions, public meal rooms, large dwellings which are to replace old-fashioned cottages, one great kitchen, one dining hall, and one pleasant tea garden. The result of all this must be to destroy the home as we know it, and tend to substitute the ideal of the socialist, all people being brethren and members of one family and one home, hereditary wealth and hereditary blood relationships abolished, father and son, wife and mother, sisters and brothers no more to each other than other members of the one great socialistic household. 
the ties of kindred even of father and mother and children must eventually sink into one common affection for all all are to stand upon an equality of relationship one to the other under the sway of socialism in respect of homes property food dress and all other things even the children are to be taken care of by the state but if any provide not for his own and specially for those of his own house he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel becomes obsolete for the home of socialism is not to be individualistic but communistic it becomes the socialist's duty henceforth to provide for all as for his own they being members of one great household and one family such is apparently the final aim of the extreme socialist this would mean a second fall of man farewell to human happiness in its purest most elevating most entrancing form destroy our home life as it exists to-day and we may well lament that the wine of life is drawn and the mere lees is left this vault to brag of just as socialism goes back to the savage past and urges man to return to communism so seemingly it contemplates the return of men and women to barbarism in their holiest relations if we are compelled to accept literally some of the writers quoted in the case against socialism as true exponents of the new system the laws of britain compared with those of america are less favorable to women and those of continental nations still less so under american laws she has proper standing proving the estimation in which she is held by American men in all the relations of life. Socialism being a continental outgrowth, the references made to women by French and German socialistic writers, some of which we have ventured to quote, shock our sense of what is due to beings who, in their highest development, are capable of reaching heights unattainable by men. It is earnestly to be hoped that the respected leaders of socialism will deal effectively with this phase of the question by repudiating the sentiments expressed. A pagan philosopher, weighing the claims of Christ to rank among the great teachers, would probably give first place to what he did for the elevation of woman. Civilized man, in his upward march, has not only outgrown, he has reversed the Miltonic idea of Adam and Eve. For contemplation he and valor formed, for softness she and sweet attractive grace he for god only she for god in him in the happiest and holiest homes of to-day it is not the man who leads the wife upward but the infinitely purer and more angelic wife whom the husband reverently follows upon the heavenly path as the highest embodiment of all the virtues that have been revealed to him he for god in her throughout the english-speaking race as a rule to-day it is the wife and mother who sanctifies the home if all the dreams of the wildest socialist were realities purchasable at the cost of the present happy home of individualism with wife and children the sacrifice were too great the blow to our civilization would be fatal end of section nineteen family relations recording by kat din in osaka japan